Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. And while with my interview with Michael Abels last week, I may have said that was my last interview of 2023, but this is my last episode of 2023. And I'll be covering the best or most notable or my favorite scores, film scores, of July through September. And I know that the awards, nominations, shortlists have started coming out, a lot of critics' awards. There's a chance I'll do something brief on those, let's say in January, but on the fence about it right now. We'll see. The first score here is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 by Lorne Balf. Surprised me that this actually came out in this period. I thought I'd seen this movie way before. But Belf's done a pretty solid job with Mission Impossible. I know a lot of people long for Joe Kramer, but Belf's here to stay. For Dead Reckoning, he took an interesting route with using an incredible amount of percussion here. Sounds almost like there's this mega drumline in place. And I think the score release is two hours or so. So you've got maybe not the full two hours, but a really long time of that main Mission Impossible theme and this drumline just pounding away. And it does get repetitive, but it's really, really energetic, gets you moving, helps keep the film moving as well, which is a a fairly long runtime for an action flick. And I think for a soundtrack score release, pare it down to 45 minutes from the two hours, and you have a really, really good, tense, pulsing action score in there. I saw this in IMAX. The speakers there, this thing is loud. And with that pummeling you, it's actually pretty fun. A score Kind of taking the flip side is The Starlink Girl by Lord Huron. You probably realize I don't necessarily mind confessing my ignorance at times on this show. Lord Huron is a group that, yeah, I had no idea about. So I listened to the score, I thought, oh, this is pretty good. Look these guys up. And apparently they're a pretty big indie rock, indie folk, folk rock band. No idea. But that's one thing that's so fun about this is hearing scores that then introduce you to the band, the musician that you may not have known. One of my favorite examples of that is finding out about Gazelle Twin through her score for Nocturne. It was great being turned on to her whole back catalog. Wonderful way to discover music. But the Starling Girls... A really fresh, cool score. There are aspects of ambient to it, adding a little subtlety, a little mystery. And then there's this through-line folky vibe. Maybe it is very familiar to fans of this band. I haven't heard their other music yet. So this score was a very cool surprise for me. Next up is Creation of the Gods 1, or Part 1, The Fang Shen Trilogy, by Gordy Hobb. You'll probably know Gordy through, I think, his work with Stephen Barton on a number of Star Wars video game scores. Some of the most 
really, I'd say some of the most acclaimed Star Wars music in the last 20 years, this millennium. So I've heard those, but not as much of his film scoring work. So it was very cool hearing this. And I'll say from the front end, it is a really long score. Again, one on the score release that probably benefit from a paring down. But setting that aside, it's a really, really excellent, excited, epic fantasy score. It's flush with motifs and themes that build and play around something that I know a lot of listeners of, especially more classic film score fans, long for. I'm not saying this is Shore's Lord of the Rings, but it's pretty good. So if that's your game, if that's your bag, recommend checking this out. Now I mentioned award season, didn't I? And I think we often think about nominated scores just like most nominated films releasing in November, December. And this period actually has quite a few acclaimed scores that came out. One, of course, probably the front runner, at least of this recording is Ludwig Goransson's score for Oppenheimer. And look, I won't get too much into this. People have listened to the score, some of the cues, millions, tens of millions of times. This is not a new discovery for you. Come on. But there's a reason for that. Yeah, it was a popular film, and yes, Goransson's a popular composer, but this is also just an excellent score. In the film itself, it's so propulsive. I normally dislike when a score is almost wallpapered on. Oppenheimer has near-constant music, but it pushes the film forward so much. Builds so much energy, tension, it's kinetic. It's one of the key reasons, obviously next to, for instance, Christopher Nolan's directing, the cast, etc. But one of the key reasons why... This three-hour film about scientists talking is gripping and flies by. Another thing I like about it is it does carry a little bit of that Tenet influence. I know that many people disliked that score, but I thought it was excellent, really dense. But he builds on that, and obviously it means that it's quite anachronistic. This is a film that takes place, you know, let's say in the 30s, obviously the 40s, 50s, 60s. The music we're hearing did not exist then, and yet it manages to fit really well. The last note I'll say is not about the music, but in the film, the lack of music. Because there's so much score in there, Gorenson is really deliberate and calculated as to when there won't be music, and it makes those moments incredibly effective. Another of the award contenders here is The Boy and the Heron by Joe Hisaishi. And I was lucky enough to talk to Chad Cannon earlier this year, who does a lot of work with Hisaishi. If I remember right, does orchestration with him, now does some additional composing, additional writing on some scores. So it was really cool getting a little behind-the-scenes view on Hisaishi and his work. Technically, I think this score was released in August, although, of course, the film's now in theaters in December. Just like the film itself, I think Hisaishi's score is 
quite introspective, quite reflective. It doesn't feel as fantastical as one might expect, but it's because, I think, like Miyazaki himself making this film fairly autobiographical, Isaichi does the same thing. It's one that may not be as obvious on first listen, but it sits with you and builds, and something that makes you think and perhaps reflect a bit as well. Our next up is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Reznor and Ross, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. I know these guys catch a ton of flack in parts of the film score community fandom. You should all know I'm a big defender of theirs. You can really hear a throwback electronic vibe, both giving it a broader 90s feel, but also a lot of influences from those 90s Nine Inch Nails albums when they get really electronic, like you take a warm place from the downward spiral, pulling that palette in there, but with more maturity. In the same way, there's a lot of, especially later on, really emotive, piano-driven moments. That's not to say it's all like this. There are some aspects, and it's a lot throughout the score, that are manic, fast-paced, high energy. They sweep you up and take you away, and it's a lot of fun. But it isn't just speed. You listen, and there's a lot going on in these cues. They're really dense, really complicated, but that complexity doesn't take away from the surface-level enjoyment either. Now I'm going to hit a few horror scores. The first is The Haunted Mansion, or just Haunted Mansion, I think, by Chris Bowers. Bowers is someone that's been having quite an excellent year this year. Haunted Mansion was solid, Chevalier, The Color Purple, might have had one or two others as well, just really all-around strong year for him. And... This is a really cool score because it's it's a bit lighter as far as horror goes. It's not scary, frightening. And because of that, it lets Bowers be a little more playful, a little more energetic. He mixes in some jazz in as well. I think that's where he really shines when he's being a little more high energy, a little more frantic, frenetic. This may be along with Chevalier, and I haven't heard the color purple, or maybe two of my favorite Bowers scores because they really show his dynamicism. Next one, getting maybe a little scarier, is The Last Voyage of the Demeter by Bear McCreary. One thing that I'll say front end and relates to some of the complaints I had about some scores a few minutes ago, it's only about 35 minutes. A lot of Bear's scores are really long because he does so much TV work, so... Maybe it would be an hour, take Rings of Power, full score, I don't know what it is, 6, 8, 10, 12 hours? Massive. 35 minutes here. Great, I love it. I think that's one of the best run lengths for a score. 35, 40, 45, beautiful. The palette itself takes a more sort of Victorian, gothic route to horror. Not quite as piercing, discordant as... A lot of more modern horror scores are, obviously part of this being that the film itself takes place in the 19th century on a boat ride to London, so the palette makes a lot of sense. My favorite parts of this, though, is it doesn't ease you in. The score starts and BAM! It's in your face, pounding. 
the main theme comes in, I think, in that first cue as well. There's an inevitability there, a danger, a certainty as to outcome. I won't spoil it for the handful of you that don't know what it is, although I think the opening title cue spoils that as well. And the last horror score I'll talk about is A Haunting in Venice by Hildur Guthnardir. And this one, again, is different from most of the modern horror we hear. It's quite minimal, very sparse, a little simple in a good way. I think because of that, it creates a very strong atmosphere of spookiness. There's a fear, there's a tension, but there's also an emptiness that creates an unease. And it's dour, draining, hopeless. But, again, this is a Poirot film, so this isn't necessarily the most devastating horror, in quotes, film either. And so she doesn't take it that far. But it creates a very strong atmosphere. I know I'm going to cover, like, 15, 20 scores, only three horror, slide to September. We're missing out on the big bucks horror period. Maybe I'll cover more then. We'll see. But instead, there were a lot of sci-fi-ish scores as well. First one, and look, this is a superhero film, not sci-fi necessarily, but still in the world of speculative fiction. Blue Beetle by Bobby Krillick. And it's been really cool to see him, also the man behind the Hex and Cloak, which is, I think, what he scored Midsummer under. But it's cool seeing his scoring career grow, and especially just in these last couple years. So this is a really big project for him. A huge step up, not necessarily in terms of exposure, but the amount that goes into a superhero score. And I think it's really solid overall. It's tough, it does get bogged down a little bit in some of the superhero tropes that have become so familiar, but it still manages to stand above certainly several of the recent ones. I think my favorite part about this, and it's something that is important to remember, to keep in mind, how much mileage you can get from an interesting palette, and how much more dynamic that makes your score, and in turn, more exciting and interesting it makes the film itself. Here, the main motif is only like two notes, but the sound that they are is so odd, so alien, so out there, that... Every time, at least for me, I hear that motif, my ears perk up, my eyebrows raise, I'm drawn in, I'm interested. And it's also something that I would love hearing more influences from a lot of more experimental bands and musicians coming in where they're playing with palette. Of course, that's the, the downside of the use of so many samples and so many of the same samples is you can get a lot of overlap with how they sound. Another sci-fi one is Michael Abel's score for Landscape with an Invisible Hand. And of course, I just talked to Michael Abel's, and this is the one of his two recent scores we didn't talk about. Useful, right? It's a surprisingly minimal score for him. You get things like his work with Jordan Peele that are much more maximalist scores. This pulls it back a bit. There's a lot of use of organ, a lot of piano, but the thing that's most notable is, right from the first couple notes, is the use of theremin. And I know that in one sense it's a cliché among sci-fi 
music, but it sounds so cool. It's an instrument I haven't heard Abel's use, so it makes this score even more refreshing and interesting coming from him. This is someone who's increasing his use of palliative instruments, and while he's only been scoring for, what's it been, six years or something, whenever Get Out came out, he has been composing for 35 years. It's been a while. This is a guy that has a great grasp of all sorts of styles, instruments, and continues to push that knowledge into his score work. Very exciting thing. I'll hit two more sci-fi films really quick. One, They Cloned Tyrone by Pierre Charles and Desmond Murray. It's one I just re-listened to, and... Whoa. I liked it initially, but I must have been having some heavy earwax or something, because hearing it again, this is an impressive score by two composers I'm not particularly familiar with. And it's a really cool genre mesh. You've got some sci-fi elements with weird drones, some funk, some other far-flung pieces, and obviously it fits with the plot itself, but this is something I complain about all the time. Having some weird genre mixes that feel like they shouldn't make sense but do. I complain about the absence of those, because here it does feel like an exploitation flick from the 70s. And those, whether they were in the U.S., I watch a lot of Japanese ones, they're throwing all these bizarre genre choices into their score, into their music, and it all works. And it works incredibly well here, just a more modern take on it. It makes me wish that more composers, and really more filmmakers, executives, studios, producers, etc., would allow that risk to be taken, because it's great. The other sci-fi score is Hans Zimmer's score for The Creator. It's been a bit of a quiet year for him, I think, probably because of Dune 2 getting delayed. I assume he did quite a lot of work on that in advance. So I can't remember, maybe The Creator is the only score he's released, maybe one or two others, the only one that comes to mind at the moment. This is a really solid, sweeping, big, epic sci-fi score. It builds a large scope. You hear it, and you can immediately tell that this is something vast, expansive, powerful, important. He takes it, and he still manages to dig into and find the little emotional human crevices. I won't walk away from the score without first, of course, mentioning the director, Gareth Edwards, making a comment, and maybe this was tongue-in-cheek. I haven't seen the video or heard the audio of it. I've only read the interview, but where he, he talks about trying to score this using AI initially. He thought it was a 7 out of 10, but wanted Simmer to come in and give it the 10 out of 10. And I read that, gosh, four months ago? And it's still, as you can tell, stuck in my mind. And I sure hope that was joking, but I don't know. It's not something to necessarily joke about and rub me the wrong way. Maybe it did the same for you, or maybe I'm overblowing it. Either way, I digress. We're running a little long in the tooth here. Two more scores that fit together, pop-related. Barbie by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt, a score that in one sense actually surprises me, given that it's getting a lot of 
at least a decent amount of awards attention as well. Actually made the Oscars a long list, among other things. Adds a lot of very overt pop influences, which, for me, is just not my style. I won't disparage it, because I know that, musically, I'm not the target audience for it. I like a lot of weird stuff. But I think it still works pretty well. The other is Bottoms by Leo Bernberg in Charlie XCX. You take these last two scores, and then you see Estheim really doing a lot of scoring work recently. Maybe around the same time she co-scored You Are So Not Invited My Bat Mitzvah with Amanda Yamate. Rostam Rostam Bat Monglij scoring the Persian version during this time as well. A lot of sort of bigger, poppier, pop-adjacent names dipping their toes, or I'll say with Este Himes example, someone that's really embraced scoring. But it's cool to see. I love seeing and hearing new voices in this space. For Bottoms, Bernberg on his own, the cues that are attributed to him are often really cool, really, really quick. It's a 27 tracks, 45 minute score. So quick cues. So they're brief. They have these like really neat, interesting synth moments. My favorites though are when Charlie's involved as well. There are a couple tracks where she's actually singing on, but also just a lot of use of her voice as if it were another instrument, similar in concept to Chelsea Wolfe's work on X, although obviously the outcome between those two, very different. Charlie XCX's music has never necessarily clicked with me, but hearing her on this did give me much more of an appreciation for her, her music, her work. I've got a few more, I'll rush through these. Toby Chu's score for The Monkey King, it's a big, fun, adventurous score, but the coolest part about it is there are times where it's mixing, like, fantasy elements, Chinese and Tibetan instrumentation with borderline extreme metal, and it's metal done well, done right. You rarely hear that in film music. Crazy mixture, and I love it. It's cool. Lamia's Poem by Christopher Willis. Chris and I talked a couple months ago. Beautiful score overall, but home to perhaps the best theme of the year. Worth listening just for that. Cassandra by Marcel Zarvos, someone again I talked to, God, three years ago now, two and a half years ago, been a while. Again, another score that really lives and dies by its main theme. Interestingly, it, it feels almost like a noir, although the surrounding instrumentation gives it a slightly gentler edge. She Came to Me by Bryce Dessner. Beautiful, beautiful. It's almost like an opera. Ends with a song by Bruce Springsteen, The Boss. Feels like this doomed barroom romance. And finally, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie by Pinar Tobruk. I love talking about a score like this. Paw Patrol, Boss Baby, the two Peter Rabbit films by Dom Lewis. These, like, children's films that end up having killer, really fun, good scores. Love it. Paw Patrol, Pinar score, fits right in with that. Now that's it for me for this period. Have a great 2024. Have a great New Year's, I should say. If you're listening in 2024, greetings from last year, and I'll be back early January with interviews kicking right back up.